Well, welcome to Home Page Radio. I might offer that this is, and I'm going to bring in Rod Richardson, the greatest radio engineer in the history of this room at this hour on this day. <laughs> very, very specific, very precise. Always precise. Now, Rod, you are the one that would, and maybe the only one that would actually know this. Is this the last homepage radio from the original studio, or are we going to have another one next month? Oh, no. We're, we're leaving uh, and starting our broadcast uh, officially on, the, uh, on Tuesday, the 16th day of November. Wow. Uh, which means that next month's homepage radio on the fourth Thursday of the month at 12 noon will be broadcast from the new studios that uh, you, of course, had a, a integral role in, uh, in preparing and designing and, and making it as, as, as exquisite as it happens to be. Uh, I've been spending more time over there, and, uh, and it's uh, coming, coming along quite nicely. Well, speaking from the crater that is still being exploded here in, in, at the University of Bridgeport, it, it is amazing the amount of effort that went into this with so many volunteers. And the unbelievable cost of all this. So before I we get launched into our show, I would just ask you to look at the uh, look at the WPKN website and see what's going on. And if you feel so compelled to help, there's a lot of ways you can contribute. And volunteer efforts here, by the way, if you feel like you want to contribute, even just sheer muscle, there are things to do to actually transport things. But there's also just money, which would really help at a time when so much is being spent to bring to you the kind of radio that you're listening to today. And I do have to apologize because I have put out uh, the word that, as we usually do, we, we're streaming this around the world. But unfortunately, because of the move, the streaming is down. So that is just part of life in the big city and that's what happens. But the podcast will be available when we're done with this. More than that, the podcast will not only be available in a timely fashion, and it will be put up and uh, broadcast all over the world. And by the way, I have been told uh, by Steve D. Costanza. Costanza. I was going to say, but anyway, Steve, that um, it is one of the more popular of the podcasts on WPKN because... People want to hear what's happening on homepage because homepage is actually a show not about DIY and styles and all that trivial stuff. It's actually a show that deals with the nature of the home in people's lives, the one universal building that is also universally idiosyncratic. It's, it's an oxymoron of architecture, which is something that is completely visceral, but also has been used by architects and by homeowners to be completely expressive of a vision of the way those people live and maybe the way everyone could live. And that's really the theme of this month's homepage radio. I called it the new way home because uh, in the last episode of uh, the uh, homepage radio, we talked about very good, solid ways that our culture is trying to address the issue of people that need homes at less than the insane cost. But in thinking about this and thinking about how the last year has seen the real estate industrial complex in this part of the country and most of the rest of the country really be turned up to level 11 on the radio volume dial, the sell, sell, sell 
craziness where the average home price in America has gone up 19% in one year, almost maybe even unprecedented. It really is a daunting thing to think about how people of modest means, average means, can actually own a place to live. And in fact, one of the crazy uh, realities is that although architects base a lot of their early aesthetic experimentation and ongoing uh, aesthetic thoughts in home design, only about 5% of all the freestanding American homes in the United States actually are just touched by an architect. Only about 2%, and these are anecdotal but also backed up by industry um, reviews, no real surveys, about 2% of the homes are really designed by an architect in the traditional empresario role. And let's face it, the vast majority of homes that architects touch are for the very, very wealthy. In my own practice, I've built over, helped build over 100 homes for New Haven Habitat, as well as do perhaps another three or 400 units for those some of those housing groups that you listened to last month trying to essentially kickstart some projects with pro bono work, but also trying to work in a way that would make buildings affordable to build and thus affordable to own. But this is nothing new, by the way. And I'm going to take a little little sidebar here because because the last time we had a pandemic in the United States it was 1920 1920 1820 and right in that zone from 1914 through 1934 a weird group of Minnesotan architects called the Architects Small House Service Bureau rose up to deal with the quote shortage of affordable homes and it is said they built up to those the plans they sold, and they just sold plans, but maybe resulted in 20,000 homes. Others say more like a couple thousand homes. We knew, though, that, that thousands of plans were actually sold. They all had about six rooms. They had about 30,000 cubic feet. Think about that now. 30,000 cubic feet of home, meaning they're very tiny, less than 1,000 square feet, many of them. And ultimately, in the middle of their time on the earth, they had 10 houses, 10 offices, rather, all across the United States. And they built in over 35 states. And, you know, it's selling, you know, 200 to 700 plans a month for 20 years uh, has some kind of an impact. And the impact is on what we're talking about today. And I'm just going to read to you very briefly from the Constitution of the Architects Small House Service Bureau. So just think about this. This was written a hundred years ago. Their purpose was to, quote, inform the public by means of social education about the application of principles of good architecture to building to advance the present widespread movement to encourage persons of limited means to build and own their own homes, to assist such person in obtaining at the lowest possible cost desirable and attractive plans Therefore, which shall conform to, and I love this word, correct architectural theories of construction and embody artistic principles of design and enable such persons to secure the benefit and the advice and the skill of architects of experience and recognized standing in their profession through the cooperation to such ends of all members of the corporation. Well, you should know is that this uh, noble effort was first endorsed by the AIA, and people in the AIA were very outraged that they would that the that architects would be dealing with, you know, those people selling plans as opposed to patrons, and it died in the Depression in 1934. Well, in the face of that, what's really quite wonderful is that we have three guests. 
we have three guests that are actually head-on architects dealing directly with this problem in different and innovative ways. They're from Virginia, Seattle, and New Haven. Uh, And I think when we talk to them, you'll hear the fact that this ancient problem of how to make a home and this problem in America that is, you know, well over 100 years old is just the human problem of how people, everyone, because we're all the same, can find a place to live that they love and reflect their values. So when we come back, we'll be with Penny Zinn Garber from Virginia on Homepage Radio. Welcome back to Homepage Radio. My name is Duo Dickinson. I'm an architect and I write some. But what I really love doing, besides teaching the University of Hartford, which is a pretty nice place too, but I really love doing is coming to WPKN once a month to do Homepage Radio, a show that really deals with homes as both universal, because everybody has a home, and also highly idiosyncratic, because everybody thinks about their home just a little bit differently. Well, in America, that has translated into one of the more insane housing booms of my experience after COVID, pent-up demand uh, craziness, I think, and also just exhilaration that will probably, as all have, come crashing down. And and, uh, in the meantime, the housing prices have gone up so high that the idea of affordable homes is almost an oxymoron. Well, architects have always tried to deal with this, not all architects, not even most architects, but some architects think that making places to live is as noble a use of what God has given us to do, make to help people make things. That is something that um, deserves their attention. And a lot of it is pro bono, just doing it because it's the right thing to do. But a lot of it tries to make it work in uh, the world of building and economics. And joining us today is an architect, Penny Zinn Garber, from Verona, Virginia. Penny, thank you so much for being on Homepage Radio. Thanks for having me today, Duo. Now, as as I understand it, um, uh, Penny first heard of me from, I think, uh, an organization that was set up to do what the, the Architects Small House Service Bureau <laughs> intended to do, which is make better places for more people. And uh, that was a, a noble organization that was created by Dennis Wedlick and Jeremiah Eck and I, um, into really the dawn of the of the 21st century, and and died a fairly ignoble death because of the crash of 2008. But in all of this, architects like Penny Zinn Garber are doing interesting things, and she has created or is creating, I would say, a, a company. And I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that this is done correctly because sometime soon there will be. I've looked around. There's kind of like a, a web web reference to it. It is one word, plans, all capital letters, plans, uh, the number four, and the word good, 
all in plans for good. And uh, she describes this as a benefit corporation that sells architect-designed, energy-efficient house plans online using the model of Tom's, Warby Parker, and Bombas. The th- one-third of each purpose of purchase will be used to build homes for those in need. So Plans for Good brings architects and homeowners together to benefit communities and the environment. Now, you're way out in Virginia, so so Penny, and, and you, when we talked over the phone, um, you described that you were at an interesting place in your life, and you want to tell, tell us about your practice and the place in your life where you said, damn it, I want to do something. <laughs> well, sure. Our, our practice is 20 years old, and it's what you would imagine in a small town. It's a general services firm, and we do the occasional library project or church project or medical office building, that sort of thing. But really the backbone, what started the practice and what continues to be the backbone of the practice is residential projects. Mm. And I'm sure you can agree with me that those types of projects just have these intimate relationships. You, mm. you, you build a rapport with your clients, a respect for them, and you get to follow for a little bit their lives. Mm. And for, you know, for some clients, they're on the cusp of retirement and they've been planning a home in their head for decades and now they have the resources and the time to realize that vision and mm. for for some um young couples who come in they're they're ready to to build their forever home and and set the stage for their family and then for other families who come in their children sit at our feet in the conference room and they play with Legos and, and we talk about budgets and square footage and all that. But, but I got really curious about what about the, what about all the families who don't have a home at all and, and can't afford our services to do custom residential projects. And what can I do about that? Mm. Um, so so I did what many architects do. I went to our local Habitat for Humanity, and right. and I naively said, I'm going to design you some house plans. And, and they laughed, and they smiled, and they said, that's great, but we already have house plans that we like. We know our volunteers can build from them, and they're just the right size, and our homeowners enjoy them. We don't really need house plans. We need cash. <laughs> and... As you know, I mean, that's not the most renewable resource for an architect. I don't have a lot of that sitting around. So, right. so I spent a couple of decades thinking about, okay, well, what are the ways that I can use the resources that I have to benefit these families who need homes? And that's when Plants for Good was, was established. Well, you know, tell us, because I think what is fascinating to me is not that um, that it was an idea that went up and went down like uh, the Architect Small House Service Bureau or the Congress of Residential Architects, but this is at the dawn of an idea, and you reached out to me about this, and I think you've reached out to a bunch of other architects. Uh, tell us, first of all, sort of where you are who have you reached out to that are like me willing to say this is a really good thing architects should be involved and tell us when you think what might happen and also tell people um if they're interested in it how to contact you about it so 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 tell us where you are 
and where you're going. Okay. So as you described, the idea is um, a model similar to Tom Shoes and Morby Parker and, and Bomba Socks, and everyone knows that you can easily go online and purchase a set of house plans for 1500 bucks in 30 minutes. Um, there's not a lot of differentiation between those plans. Um, someone who's not in our particular field might have a little bit of difficulty discerning one set versus the other. So the backbone of this website is all of the plans will be completed by licensed architects. There's a, there's a level of expertise there with licensure that um, vets the plans for purchasers when they're, when they're mm. trying to find the house plans for themselves. Mm. Um, so um, that, that is the backbone. But in, in trying to find a differentiation to that idea, I reached out to architects uh, through um, channels like uh, the AIA and, and, and CARB and, and different social media websites that architects ge- generally um, flock to and have interest from Seattle, Washington, and Virginia, and Florida, and obviously you in Madison, Connecticut, so that we'll be able to bring um, a, a variable set of plans, many, many types of different plans to the website so people will be able to select from a variety. Um, our practice, a lot of the residential plans that we do People come to us for insulated concrete form with mm. um, it's a it's a type of wall construction that uses a, um, a a styrofoam form that stays in place and steel and concrete being poured into the cavity to provide a very resilient energy efficient um, house structure. Hmm. So that will certainly be one of the types of plans, but there's, as you know, many ways to develop energy-efficient plans and plans that will help homeowner, homeowners over the years in their, um, in their time living in those houses to keep their energy bills low and be a little more gentle on the environment hmm. than a lot of the plans that are out there. Now, the, what's interesting is, you know, I, I obviously had an immediate positive regard for this because it was, first of all, something that you believed in so passionately. But also, um, I had just in my gut the sense that others would too. How have you found the response to your ideas, the people, the, the beginnings of stakeholders for this idea? Um, we've had a very positive response, both from prospective purchasers mm and from architects. One thing that we're finding in the market is that people want to customize their plans, but a lot of times they purchase plans online and there's a disconnect between the the architect or designer who created the plans and the end user. So we want to have a value-added um, program on our website where you can also purchase a one-hour video chat with the architect Mm. who has created the plans. What we're really looking to do is consign the architectural plans from the designer and keep that architect um, who created the plans and the plans themselves to keep that relationship 
tight. So, so really what people are buying, they're buying a relationship. They're not just buying a set of lines on pages, but, but they're, they're buying the story. They're buying the creative act that, that architects have developed. And there's a be- also been, obviously, a lot of positive response to the model that one-third of the purchase price goes back to the consigning architect mm. to pay for their intellectual property. One-third runs the marketing and the operations of the business, but one-third is donated to uh, organizations, local chapters of organizations like Habitat for Humanity to build the houses for the the people who have no home at all. Because there's there's so much research on how having a secure, stable place to live benefits families, benefits children, increases education. That stability is so critical to to really improve people's lives. Well, it's interesting, you know, just fulfilling all the uh, boomer, stereotypic, uh, shallow, uh, good intentions. I go to Starbucks every morning, and it does make my heart go pitter-pat on a tiny level to buy a bottle of Ethos water there that essentially, you know, gives back probably half of a quarter of a penny to somebody somewhere to do something good. Um, and your, your, proj- your program is one that really impresses me uh, in that it actually is in the world as opposed to in your head or in the AIA and tries to both uh, shake the hands of the professional architect, but also give put money in the hands of the people that are actually trying to do things. In these last minutes, if, if this all works, let's just say the, this idea is going to be the greatest, when would it, quote unquote, officially launch? And in a year or five, what do you think the outcome would be? Yes, absolutely. So um, I'm currently working with a team and a business incubator so that when we launch the website, which is slated to come out at the very end of 2021, Mm. um, we will have everything just right. There's obviously liability issues and and with, with an architectural work and just making sure that everything about the website and the customer service experience is spot on. Mm-hmm. But Duo, um, you know, in September of 2021, 1.5 million building permits were issued in the United States. Amazing. And construct- the construction industry is slated to grow another 15% this year. Crazy. If we just touched, and, and, and you have written that 97% of those homes are not custom architectural projects. Mm. So a lot of those homes are already being purchased online and, and built to those specifications. So if we just touch 1% of those 1.5 million permits every month, we could fund nearly 100 homes around the country mm. every month, every mm. month. Even if we just in year number one, we have a goal of selling 2,000 plans for the entire year, and that would fund a home every single month. And we're, we're, we've thought about this process a long time and realized that we don't need to create another nonprofit to build the homes. There are organizations that already have boots on the ground and already figured out 
supply chain issues and they've figured mm. out volunteer and labor issues, we need to be able to send the revenue to those organizations that are already functioning at a high level and to be able to do it in a way that we can touch communities all over the country. Mm. So we're working to develop a program where a contributing architect is picked every month to select the local organization that would receive that month's funds. And that way we can really spread the impact all over the country and affect communities everywhere. Well, that is a brilliant idea. uh, And I hope that people will go to Plan, uh, I will say it again, plans, all in capital letters, the number four and good, plans for good. There there are things there and there will be a lot more there. So thank you so much, Penny Zinn Garber, for joining us today on Homepage Radio. Thanks for having me, Duo. I so appreciate it. No problem. Now, when we come back, a, 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 a different and completely similar take. This is from an architect in Seattle, Washington, Susan Ingham, that has dedicated her life Besides being an architect, just just like Penny Zinn Garber, Susan Ingham is, is does homes, a lot of homes, but also teaches a way of making homes that is not exclusive, but inclusive, that would make those who want to make homes better architects. So when we come back, Susan Ingham from Seattle, Washington. Welcome back to Homepage Radio. My name is Duo Dickinson. I'm an architect. I write some. But every month on WP, host a radio show called Homepage Radio that, that deals with our homes and not about the how cool it is that we're in a building boom and every, anybody can ask any price for any home and not be laughed out of the real estate office, uh, but really about people and how they live and how they make their own home. Well, this... Uh, month's program I call New Way New Ways Home simply because architects, designers, but I are an architect and and we're talking to three architects here today on homepage. Architects have always been those who who really want to have a larger impact than themselves. That's one of the reasons they don't just design buildings for their own use or design them on paper. A lot of architects really like building things and they like building things for everyone, not just the super rich. Well, in trying to do that, we just listened uh, to Penny Zinn Garber uh, starting a new program that really will sell plans that not only benefits the people that 
would buy them, but also benefits the um, institutions like Habitat for Humanity and others that create um, buildings that other people could otherwise not afford. Now, when I thought about this show, it was great to see a project that is forming. And our last last guest, Ben uh, Ledbetter, is in the middle of a program that's been around for 30 or 40 years and transforming it and making it something that's quite interesting and in, 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 uh, working to give to create homes that people could not otherwise obtain. But what about the architects themselves? What about the people that design buildings? If they design buildings really for themselves or design buildings for the super rich or design buildings for some abstract standard of aesthetic genius, well, they're not really designing homes for anybody. They're designing homes for quote unquote architecture, some aesthetic uh, pinnacle somewhere. Well, that doesn't help anyone. Well, Susan Ingham is a licensed architect in Seattle, Washington, and her firm CASA, K-A-S-A, CASA Architect- Architecture, you know, was founded almost uh, 20 years ago. And she does really specialize in residential designs. But what she also does, and how I know her, is, is, is really through the incredible program Building Beauty that really channels her education at Berkeley uh, with Christopher Alexander, an amazing human that wrote incredible books. And that program, Building Beauty, extends his writing into education, a direct hands-on education. And it's I've been on working with them since 2017 and uh, do a program with them and also have extended them into the University of Hartford. Um, but we were talking last week or two weeks ago about a distinct part of that program, a distinct way to teach architecture, which is using the universal solvent of the most basic and yet the most idiosyncratic building that there is, the home. So Susan Ingham will now guide us through, Susan, are you ready? I hope you're ready. Uh, the guide us, guide us through how home design is effectively taught, but it's not taught so much as the way homes are created has a way of thinking and creating that is typically not part of the sort of real estate industrial complex of sell, sell, sell. So welcome to homepage, Susan, Susan Ingham. Yeah, Susan Ingham. (laughs) God, I love radio. Welcome to homepage, Susan. Thank you, Duo. It's very nice to talk to you today. <laughs> so, despite my, my vapor lock there, um, could uh, could you just tell us a little bit first about your practice? Because I think your practice is pretty cool and pretty interesting in Seattle, Washington. But then, if you could tell us about Building Beauty. So, first, talk to us about your practice, and then talk to us about Building Beauty. Sure. Well, uh, I am, as you said, an a architect here in Seattle. Uh, in the Northwest, and I specialize in residential architecture, mostly designing houses and cabins, uh, remodels and additions, and I really try and create places and homes where my clients are able to completely relax and recharge, um, places where they feel that they can be nurtured, have a sense of belonging, while at the same time making sure that the house also adds to the existing character or feeling of the surrounding community. So um, especially in these COVID times, you know, it's really important that now that we're spending more time in our houses, that these places that we're living 
really try and recharge us and give us the uh, nurturing that, that we need. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough to study with Chris Alexander at the University of California at Berkeley, and he devoted his life to trying to create um, beautiful buildings and places where each project could really deeply satisfy the needs of the inhabitants, as well as uh, improve and heal the, the physical place that, it, that it's in. So I, I definitely owe a lot of what I do to, to my uh, studies with him. Well, tell us, tell us how that segued into Building Beauty, and tell us what was I find fascinating is that you use, and I guess I do too because I'm helping you with this, you use the home as a way of, of almost um, sensitizing architects to design in general. So, so tell us, tell us how, how Building Beauty started and then how did the home become a central part of its pedagogy? Sure. Uh, Building Beauty is a, a, it's a postgraduate uh, architecture program and it was started about four years ago. We are based in Sorrento, Italy, which is a beautiful place. Uh, Of course, the last two years we have been completely online, so we've had to pivot a bit. But the program is really about, it's based on uh, Christopher Alexander's ideas. It was founded by him and many of his colleagues, including myself. And we are really trying to create beauty in the world in different ways and at different scales. So we have students start out uh, designing and making. That's a big part of the program where we're integrating the design and the making aspect of it. So we have them start with small projects, making tiles and small decorations uh, in Sorrento or now for their own uh, living uh, environment, wherever they are. And we have students from all over the world, which is really exciting. And then we have them build a little bit bigger uh, things. So we have them build a piece of furniture that they will, something that's needed in where they live in their house. So it might be a bench, it might be a lamp, it might be a stool, it might be a bookcase. Uh, And we, we, we help them through that. And then we also do a larger community projects in the garden in Sorrento and other places in the, in, in Italy. Uh, of course, this with, with it online, that's a little more difficult. So we have started having them design a house for themselves. Mm. And uh, the way we do that is we, we really try and figure out what are the really deep needs that somebody has. Uh, in terms of thinking about how they live in their house. You know, maybe somebody is really likes to enjoy time in the morning with a cup of coffee, sitting, uh, reading the news or listening to music and having breakfast. Uh, and that might be really important that somebody might want a, a space that, that can support that versus somebody who might entertain a lot at night and maybe just runs, you know, wakes up late and runs out of the house and grabs a latte on the way to work, something like that. So those are two different ways of really living and supporting how someone likes to live. And so we try and have the students really think about, and I have my clients do this too, really think about what are those important activities and things that you really value and, and the, how do you like to live in your house? That, that's, that's the real question. Not 
oh, I need three bedrooms and two bathrooms right. and a media room. Well, it's interesting because what what you're what I perceive, and I've been on juries of these uh, projects and I've seen the, the students in action. What you really are grappling with, and what I think everybody who's listening grapples with, is is the motivations of what you value in the first place. Why why do I want this? What what, what do I want to do with it? Whereas architects um, in architecture school are almost always taught with outcomes, not motivations. What is the thing, not why is the thing. And if you could, in these in these final few minutes, could you tell us some of the whys and hows that you guide these uh, designers through that ultimately ends up in, in a product, in, in um, an outcome, but actually hopefully enriches their perspective? Sure. So one of the other things that we do for this house project is we have the students uh, pick a, a real site and we have them actually stake out the, their, their house scale one-to-one with some bamboo stakes and string and things. And one of the main principles that Alexander taught me and that we teach the students is we, we ask the students not to put the house in the most beautiful part of the site. Now, that's kind of counterintuitive. Most people think, oh, I'll put the house right here where it's really nice. The problem with that is if you do that, then that most beautiful part of the site is actually gone. Mm. And you're left with the remnants of the site, which maybe aren't so nice to look at from your house. So we teach them to find the most beautiful part of the site and then place their house or their building, whatever it is, around that, that in, the, in, the least, in, the, in the least attractive parts of the site so that it supports mm. the beautiful site and that the house can then look out onto that. And that's really a very counterintuitive way of of looking at how how to place a building or any other structure on a piece of land. Well, what's interesting is you've you've walked the talk of this. You do this. You've built scores of really beautiful homes in, in all around the Northwest. And just in the in in the final in our final thoughts, could you just say to me how you think how you were educated now how you are educating people to think about this and designers to think about this? How will homes be changed by this in general? Well, I think it's a matter of really, um, really being sensitive to the surrounding context. And if, if everybody does do that, where we're building on the, the places that need help, that need improving, and we're preserving the beautiful places, that's going to have a huge effect on, on any environment. If it's a town, a city, a rural uh, site, so just by doing that one thing, I think, will make a big difference in terms of trying to increase the beauty in the world, which, uh, which I think we all are, are yearning for in these times. Hey, Susan, thank you so much for being on Homepage Radio. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Duo. Great to talk to you. So when we come back, um, another architect, this one local uh, from New Haven, will talk to us about a direct integration between the humanity of people and the homes that are being created for them. He's stepped into the breach and Ben Letter Ben Ledbetter will be joining us shortly.
Hey, welcome back to Homepage Radio at WPKN 89.5 FM on your radio, whatever it is. And uh, once again, I'd just like you to, to know that WPKN has been declared uh, by The New Yorker as the greatest radio station in the history of all radio stations, and I heartily agree, but it only really exists because of the humans that make it. And um, there, you know, I, I would say that Rod Richardson is the greatest radio engineer I've ever known. Um, but and before he was actually a paid staff member, did a ton of of the work everyone here does, which is pro bono devotion to making lives better on the radio. And if you're interested in that, uh, do go to the website, take a look at the availabilities that are there for you to participate in WPKN because it is an extraordinary place and you should be a part of it. Well, the last part of, of Homepage Radio's show, which I've, I've called the new way home, is yet another architect and architects that is actually going be architects that are going beyond the normal idea of patron uh, conferring a, a fabulous uh, program onto an artiste who will make them a beautiful thing for culture and history, an outcome that will be venerated. Well, like the, our previous two guests, they, uh, Ben Ledbetter, who will join us shortly, has really been at the core of connecting the humanity of those who need homes to the built end of that. And um, Ben, I'm just going to, I'm going to put together your, the resume, you, uh, you, not the resume, the bio, biography that you sent me. You know, Ben, Ben has been an architect practicing for 45 years and he has a bachelor's degree from Auburn, but then a master's from, from Harvard University. And he's taught everywhere. He's, you know, he's taught at Harvard, uh, Tulane, Lehigh, and, and, and any number of places. Um, and he actually had a, has a teaching position at Wesleyan, um, and but for this program, uh, beyond his brilliance as an architect, that's that's done any number of single occupant and multifamily homes, including a recent thirty unit affordable housing project in Hamden. Besides the normal architect things, where Ben is really, I think, um, taken his training and life's work and turned it into something which is of infinite cultural enrichment and social benefit is that for the last five years um, he's been the client liaison for the Vlock, uh, Jim Vlock first year building uh, project that Yale has sponsored for a very long time over 40 years and during that five years um, he is par- he's partnered with them as a person that is on the uh, board of Columbus House a Connecticut homeless advocacy not-for-profit and he's also been on their board of directors um, and the um, the idea that a person of his education and thoughtfulness can actually talk to the students about what a home can be um, that has resulted in three duplexes, one triplex, now a single family unit, um, and an owner, all owner occupied, um, and going into their sixth years, their their sixth year, I really think is a model of how. Uh, a professional life can be made meaningful to everyone. So, Ben Ledbetter, welcome to Homepage Radio. Hello, old friend. How are you doing? I'm good. After that intro, I don't think there's much less <laughs> to say, much more to say. <laughs> Thank you, Duo. <laughs> well, you know, 
I'm trying to figure out exactly who you were talking about. Well, I know it's it's like you're at your own funeral, but um, what (laughs) uh, what what I would I would encourage you to tell everyone because I just talked got off the phone with from with Susan Ingham from Seattle, Washington, who's totally enmeshed Mm -hmm. in education, um, but also does homes and also thinks about how the design aspect of the world relates to just the humanity of the people you're designing with and for and yourself. So could you tell us how your teaching life, your building life and this recent in, uh, not recent, but this, this um, manifestation of you as a client liaison, tell us about the interaction of those roles. Um, well, I've not taught formally for a while. And uh, I think you said I teach at Wesleyan. I did teach at Wesleyan and have taught at other places. Uh, but I got involved supporting Columbus House, which mm. is just a fantastic organization doing really important work. Uh, I got involved in supporting that, and somehow because of uh, other things I did, I found myself on the housing committee there and then mm. found myself on the board. And my good friend and my good friends, Alan Organsky and Adam Hoffner, who then five years ago were directing the Yale first year building program, the Vlock first year building program that you described, uh, knew of my involvement. Alan particularly knew of my involvement with Columbus House. Uh, we had a breakfast one morning and decided that Columbus House might be their next client, as it were, the block building program's mm. client. And uh, so this was five years ago. And uh, Alan was very enthusiastic about that. Uh, new dean at the School of Architecture, Deborah Burke, was arriving. We put the idea before her. She got very excited about this potential relationship, which became a relationship with Columbus House, Mm. uh, Yale, uh, as something that would uh, expose architecture students in a master's program to the kinds of things that you were describing. And um, it's, uh, it's a program that all of the students... Uh, are required to participate in when they arrive in their first year at the Yale Master's Program. Uh, Last year, I think there were 55 students. This year, for some bizarre COVID-related reasoning, uh, there are, I think, 73 students. Wow. Uh, So (laughs) I'm not sure uh, about the efficacy of having 73 students design and build uh, (laughs) uh, a house, uh, which is in a reduced state. We're very interested this year uh, because of reductions in budgets, partly uh, with an initiative that the city of New Haven has uh, approved and is very interested in, and particularly people who are sort of in control of those kinds of initiatives are very interesting, which is uh, the ADU, the accessory dwelling unit. Well, tell so you know, I, I, did a, I did a show on ADUs about three or four months ago. 
For everybody out there, could you just describe what an ADU is? Because it's something that people hear, and and I think it is uh, changing the way people think about living in in single-family home America. Well, an an ADU is one variation on finding affordable housing, interestingly enough. Mm. Finding housing that is something other than the typical house, right? Uh, what, you know, what, what it really is, is the quote, mother-in-law's apartment, right? Mm. Um, you know, mom is 89 years old, can't live by herself, doesn't want to live in some institution somewhere. So, um, daughter and son-in-law retrofit the garage as mom's apartment. Right. So this is a kind of formalization of ADU, which is accessory dwelling unit which can either be something like a renovation of the garage out back. It can be a new building that is attached to a house. It could be, you know, by definition, by the city's definition, it could be in the basement or the attic of a house. But it's finding uh, a place that someone can call home that they might not have otherwise. Which Which is really the focus of this collaboration yeah. between uh, Columbus House, as you called it, a homeless advocacy group, and a school of architecture that is encouraging students and helping students better understand how they have already been thinking about architecture and particularly about houses or homes, which aren't necessarily houses, right? Right. So, well, an interesting uh, thing, Susan Ingham was talking about the fact that, you know, this building beauty is actually a graduate program it's it's a year after you've graduated from somewhere else this is your you you are embracing these students who are going to a graduate school but in their first year of graduate school and when you've done this now for 5 years do you see the students attitudes about architecture changing being forced to deal not only just with the nuts and bolts literally of making a building but also with this uh, user group uh, you know, out of 55 students or 73 students this year, some of them were more interested than others. Uh, there are a large number of students that apply to Yale, particularly because of this program. Wow. So they're already, they're already interested in the kinds of questions that Yale is asking. And Yale uh, has that kind of rate. And, and there are other schools as well, as you mentioned. But, you know, the, Yale has kind of reputation of caring about architecture as a venue that normally does not address itself to uh, the disadvantaged or the dispossessed, right? As as you and I know, buildings are very expensive. Uh, Architecture is very expensive. Maybe, not necessarily, but buildings are very expensive which means that, you know, it takes money to build things. So, you know, that's always our, that's always been Yale's struggle in its collaboration with other nonprofits before, or with the nonprofits. Yep. And it's certainly something that increasingly Columbus House faces. But, you know, how do you, how do you find the possibilities of architecture with less money, uh, with clients who are disadvantaged, if not dispossessed, 
And, uh, you know, how do you, in this case, build something for them? The students actually design the houses. I'm calling them houses, duplexes, now ADUs. You know, how, how, how do students find a way to understand house through someone who doesn't have a house in this case, right? Pretty good. And that's a, that's, a le- that's a lesson for them, whatever they do when they leave Yale or when they leave any school of architecture. Now, in uh, our final... Whoever in our, they're making houses for. In, in our final minutes, I did hear a teaser in a note from you about a book. Tell us, are you working on a book that somehow synthesizes these experiences? Did I say that? Yeah, you did, actually. <laughs> uh, duo, all of us are working on books. <laughs> but in this case... you. Ha- is there is you there a book? Actually, you actually publish them. I you know it's it's you know it's file drawers full of notes. Cool. Uh, I'll tell you about that some other time. Well, I will tell you it, that it, I, anything. It, any, it, it 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 is ostensibly about a search for the ideal American house, see, whatever the, that is. I, so, any way yeah. I can help you get that published would be a dream of mine because that is the message. And I, and I do want to thank you so much for being on Homepage Radio, Ben, because I think what you're doing at Yale is something we all have to uh, aspire to. So, so thank you, Ben. Thank you, Duo, and thank you for the invitation, and uh, come see me. All right. Well, thank, thank you all for listening to Homepage Radio. The last time we'll ever be in these ancient, wonderful studio uh, moments. And thank you, Rod Richardson, for shepherding us me through this crater of a, of a transition space. You're welcome. And do join us next month, the fourth Thursday of the month in November, for the next Homepage Radio on WPKN 89.5 FM on your radio dial.